God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Hope everybody had a nice July 4th Independence Day weekend. Uh, it uh, it was a very different one for me. And, uh, and not the way that I live my life. But I didn't see a lot of fireworks. And I didn't see a lot of patriotism. And I didn't see a lot of flag waving. I saw a lot of politics, uh, politicization of uh, flag flag waving. And it uh, inspired me to actually write an article about it uh, that's more than likely going to be published today in uh, humanevents.com. So check that out. Um, the article that I wrote that was inspired by none other than Cori Bush the uh, congresswoman, the black woman, uh, who is a congresswoman for the first district of Missouri, and she, you know, wrote a really boneheadedly uh, stupid tweet um, because she hates America, as most Democrats do. The Democrats, uh, Antifa, Black Lives Matter—they all want to segregate. They all want to disappear they all want to get away and i say fine you're you're welcome to leave but of course they really don't even know what they're saying and nor do they mean what they're saying uh they 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 mean it but they they don't know what they're saying because they're so ill-equipped upstairs in the head to come to grips with reality that they're living in the best country in the world they're living in the best country with the best constitution with the best roadmap forward, despite all of our flaws and all of our mistakes that we've made throughout history, we have a lot to be thankful for. We have a lot to be grateful for. I love that word gratitude. It's the word that I think uh, represents my place in life the best. Because if you don't have gratitude, if you 
cannot be thankful for anything. Like Black Lives Matter seems to project or like Antifa seems to project these soy boy people. Uh, I read this article over the weekend where it said, you know, one of the reasons why it is that you have this disgruntled behavior, this slapping America across her face behavior is because we've lived in such a spoiled environment. A lot of these kids uh, that are Antifa are spoiled rotten to the core. Uh, they don't work. Uh, they, they uh, you know, play video games. They eat fattening foods. They don't even try to look good. Half these people are, you know, overweight or they're not getting enough sun. They're, they're not reaching out and socializing with other people. And when they do, they like to wear masks. Yeah, that's right. See, I mean, they put on the helmets and they put on the handkerchiefs around their face and they say it's it's because they don't want the cameras to pick them up and reveal their identity for their misbehavior. But frankly, I think it's, you know, I think this whole mask thing is part of their part of their psyche. You know, it's a, it's a bad habit. We oftentimes develop bad habits in our lives. I think we all have. You know, we'll spend maybe six months doing something. Uh, maybe we're six months to playing too many video games or six months uh, drinking too much or six months. doing. You know, we all have getting these ruts in our life. We all make these mistakes and develop these bad habits and we usually try to correct them. You know, uh, everybody knows I've uh, listens to this show. I've been, you know, I got sick or, you know, I had surgery. And one of the things I've done with my life is get up, get out, go to the gym, get some sun, focus on my health, eat a proper diet and do the right thing. And uh, it, it's it's good for me, you know. But I know what I'm doing. I know it's an effort, and I know it's a change, and it's a departure, and it's a this and it's a that. But we all make changes to try to better our lives in one way or another. You know, our country is not much different. So when I read what Cory Booker, uh, Cory Booker, Cory Bush said, I read what she said. I, I was inspired by my own, my own situation, and. Um, so what I did was I, I wrote this piece and I said, you know, Cori uh, Bush is a, is a minority, right? She's a minority and she wrote this. She said, in celebration of America's Independence Day, a liberal black congresswoman from Missouri, 1st District, tweeted this. So here's what Cori Bush tweeted. When they say that the 4th of July is about American freedom... Remember this, she says. Now, this is Cori Bush saying this. This is this black congresswoman from the 1st District of Missouri. And she said the freedom they're referencing to is for white people. This land is stolen land and black people still aren't free. I said, huh. Wow. Well, she's not the only minority in town, right? 
She's not the only person that can cry victim. We're going to go later in the show, we're going to talk about Julie Kelly's latest piece over at America Greatness, where she's talking about 20 questions for Nancy Pelosi. And I loved when President Trump gave his great speech in um, Saratoga, or (laughs) I'm drawing a blank on that name, in Florida, Sarasota, (laughs) Saratoga. Saratoga is in New York. Sarasota is in Florida. But a lot of New Yorkers live in Sarasota. Um, Gave this great speech and he said, I want to know who shot Ashley Babbitt, don't you? Well, we actually know who shot Ashley Babbitt. It's uh, a Secret Service guy that used to be on the Pence detail. And his name's Bird. Uh, We know who he is now. Don't post it, though. Don't post it on social media. You'll be taken right off social media. So the theme of this show is going to be based, the first half of this theme of the show is going to be based around the piece I wrote. And um, and so I want to share it with you a little bit. Um, and uh, I was just reading this one note. Um Okay, so I, I started off and I said this. I said, I entitled it a Native American thank you to our founding fathers and all who have sacrificed for what we have today. <clears throat> so I said, history is filled with winners, losers, rich, poor, victims of circumstance and injustices as well as remedies. Throughout our journey, it is important to remind ourselves that it was the warrior in the Native American at a time of their defeat that earned attention and respect. It was the injustice of the black struggle that inspired great leaders like Martin Luther King to make everlasting change. In America, we honor and remember minority defeat and struggle as part of our history, in part because their sacrifices inspired good public policies that help us all avoid mistakes of our past. If we cancel our culture and erase our past, how can we learn from our mistakes? More importantly, the losses of our Native Americans and the struggles of our black brothers and sisters were not in vain, and we should never try to make them so. Their sacrifices inspired our Constitution, the Emancipation Proclamation, and civil rights agendas that were written as law to protect people of all nationalities, all creed, color, and religion, lest we forget our past and lose sight of our gratitude. We have a history worth remembering and a lot to be thankful for as one people, one nation under God. In celebration of America's Independence Day, A liberal black congresswoman from Missouri, 1st District, tweeted, When they say the 4th of July is about American freedom, remember this, the freedom they're referring to is for white people. This land is stolen land, and black people still aren't free. And another black person wrote in response to that, I've I've lived as a black man in America for 40 years and never one day 
did I experience anything but freedom. I've been free my whole life, he said. Perhaps she was inspired, though. Perhaps Cori Bush was inspired by the anti-police black victimization rhetoric that spawned the Marxist segregationist group Black Lives Matter, which originated from the lies born from the Michael Brown hands-up-don't-shoot fiasco in her own district back in the Obama years in 2013. So to up, and so I said to her tweet. I replied. I replied to her, and I said this. I said, Congresswoman Cory Bush, I'm Native American. Stop complaining about your past, about a past you cannot change, and try to be grateful for the opportunities we have, all fought and sacrificed for. This is never about taking blessings for granted. Looking backwards, segregating yourself from a whole society, nor expecting handouts from your peers. What Cori Bush fails to understand is that minority struggles and losses, like those sustained by the Native American ancestors, my Native American ancestors, was never in vain and should never be in vain. Our past slaughters and slavery inspired Jefferson to prioritize equality, liberty, equal justice, and freedom despite his own shortcomings. It inspired Lincoln to write the Emancipation Proclamation and inspired Martin Luther King to dream big and is the root cause for American greatness. The New York Times, who's nicknamed the Great Lady, with a slogan that reads, All the News That's Fit the Print, printed an article a 4th of July symbol of unity that may no longer unite, suggesting that those who wave the American flag are somehow racist conservative Republicans, while those who ignore our patriotic values support America's hard truth medicines like critical race theory, wokeness, and cancel culture. Even Vanessa Williams promised to sing a competing black national anthem in place of America's national anthem, while PBS promised to give her rendition equal billing at their annual celebration, 41st celebration. PBS celebrating America and playing the national anthem. You know, you got the uh, women's soccer team wearing Black Lives Matter jerseys. Black Lives Matter is a Marxist socialist group that donates to the liberal party's Act Blue fundraising apparatus. And it's, it's being propagated out there with taxpayer dollars that come right out of the pockets of Republicans. I don't think that's fair. So I go on to say in this piece, cancel culture wokeism, rewriting history, tearing down statues, and fundamentally restructuring community policing by Replacing cops with social workers require thoughtful debate and due process and fairness that seem to be missing from our social media, DOJ, FBI, Department of Education, and law enforcement. That these are disguised as reparations without congressional approval would not come as a shock in a day and age where much of our government mischief has come from 
the stroke of a pen signing emergency powers, executive orders, and memorandas that advance policies that never stand the test of time like America's founding father's masterpiece called the American Constitution. Gratitude and a new path forward. Rather than complain about our past without weighing the good with the bad or attempt to advance impossible solutions of reparations that run counter to every aspect of personal responsibility, due process, and jurisprudence, Americans must never allow our struggles that shape our learning to be erased from history. The path forward must come from love rather than resentment or hate. Let us be pragmatic and keep an open mind. Some solutions are never easy, and more often than not, we must solve our problems on our own. And I played that Amy Wax thing last week for you. That basically said the crux of the matter is with the parable and the paraplegic is if a truck driver runs you over and you get all this insurance money, uh, the the only way you're ever going to really and truly walk again is if you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and work really, really hard at therapy to get yourself back on your feet because all the money in the world is not going to be the therapy you need in order to better your life. You're going to have to dig deep from within your own self, from within your soul, and dig deep and make things better for yourself. So let us be pragmatic and keep an open mind. Some solutions are never easy, and more often than not, we must solve our problems on our own. That's what I meant by that. The greatest champions will often tell you that their greatness was possible because of their most challenging foes that pushed them, inspired their hard work, and helped them be great. You know, Ali had Fraser, Bjorg, Borg, Bjorn Borg had McEnroe. America's is great because of her challenges and struggles too. I am a Native American. I know my family struggle. I know about our losses. I know the injustices, the unfairness of it all, and more. Which is why I disagree with Congressman woman Cory Bush, anti-American segregationist, 4th of July message to her constituents. It is impossible to change the past, but we can all learn from our mistakes without dividing us as people or disrespecting our laws and principles. And that was the piece that I'm um, running. So I'm grateful for all the sacrifices made by the, my great-grandparents because all Americans have benefited from the lessons learned from their struggle and it is because of our founding fathers' thoughtful contribution to the American Constitution that made our growth and maturity as a nation possible. We're growing together, people. We're growing as one people. That's what it's all about. That's what America is all about. And these people that are rising up and pushing and advocating and getting the megaphone for segregation is going to set us backward. Tearing statues down without due process is going to set us backward. You know, I think we need to have a very democratic approach 
to these types of decisions. We can't just willy-nilly tear flags off of poles, tear statues down just because we, we don't like the history of it. And yes, I'm talking about the rebel flag that I was never even a big fan of. But you know what? The South has their flavor. They have their pedigree. They have their way of doing things. And frankly, it's kind of an interesting thing because it's the red state. The South only became red states when uh, they put an end to Jim Crow laws, when they empowered black people to vote and to be a whole man, not three-fifths of a man, to integrate rather than segregate. It was Democrat George Wallace that stood in the doorway and blocked integration in Alabama. It was a Democrat there. The last Democrat KKK member in Congress was Senator Robert Byrd from West Virginia. And Jefferson Davis fought against the first Republican president to continue slavery and to segregate from the Union. And I can go on and on. The Jim Crow laws of the South were written by state and local Democrats throughout the South, all on the on on at the at the um, at the advancement of segregation. They wanted separate buses, separate schools, separate. Uh, water fountains, separate restaurants, separate hotels, the Green Book, right? So we, we, we understand that all of those things are just flawed. Fallacies, that they're mistakes that we've made. To erase those mistakes, we never can learn from them. To start teaching an alternative history, 1619, critical race theory, gets in the way of learning and teaching. At the expense of who? Our future, our children. These COVIDs and these ma- uh, mandates and these masks and all of these punishments that the children don't even fully understand. This grooming and this social behavior and all the things that are involved with learning. Not just book smarts, but learning how to cope and negotiate with friendships and defeats. And, and victories. Sports, athletics, it's also important. So we need to do uh, better for our children. And we cannot subject them to our politics. But the Democrats will stop at nothing. And they are stopping at nothing. So many lives are being lost. I mean, just look at the inhumanity along the border. But, you know, the idea here is this. The idea of my peace and the idea of what we are experiencing in this 4th of July, which is, to me, it's been different than any other 4th of July, is, is this concept that it's almost, according to the New York Times, akin to wearing a Make America Great Again hat that offends people as waving a flag. And it's true. I mean, I've seen it with my own eyes. You go through social media, you see somebody with a don't tread on me or a, a American flag. Chances are that person is a Trump supporter. How could you not be? Nobody represented love for country better than Donald Trump. He, he portrayed that. He wore it on his sleeve. Whether he did or he didn't, 
is actually not even not even very relevant. I, I know he did, and I know he does, but that's not even the exercise. The exercise is when you have a leader of the free world, you want them to stand up, and you want that leader to be great. You want that leader to wear a tie. You want that leader to wear a suit. You want that leader to be able to tell a story off the cuff. You want that leader to wave a flag, hug a flag, kiss a flag. You want that leader to love your country, have your back, and get government out of your way. This Biden thing experiment that's going on in Washington right now, run by a bunch of handlers, he can't even go to an ice cream shop in Michigan where he had about 38 people show up lining the streets to watch him eat some ice cream. CBS News is asking what kind of ice cream he had, and he had two scoops. I remember the last time a president had two scoops. Guess what it was? It was Donald Trump having two scoops of ice cream where everybody else only had one. That's what they wrote up in the papers. With Joe Biden, it's completely a different narrative. The media bias, the state-run media, I mean, these are people that are basically self, self-mutilating. The journalists today are mutilating themselves as if they have some sort of a derangement syndrome. I think it's Trump derangement syndrome where they literally cut their own risks, violate their own principles because they're not acting like journalists. They're acting like advocates. They're acting like zealots. They're acting like activists. And we see it over and over again. And yet the left, the people that drink the Kool-Aid and vote for people like Biden, because there are people that have done it. I know them. They don't even have buyer's remorse because they're so in the dark, in the tank, watching CNN, MSNBC, and they don't even know what's going on around them. They don't know the truth. It's almost like as if you go to a third world country and you ask them, you know, questions about what's happening in their country or with their leadership. They don't really even know what's happening to them. Just like an anorexic person or someone with an eating disorder or someone with a mental disease. You ask an anorexic person who's skinny as a rail if they feel thin or fat, they will tell you they think that they're fat. Remember Baz Luhrmann had that song, You're Not As Fat As You Look, You Think You Are. As you get 40 years older, you look back at photographs of yourself and you say, wow, I looked pretty good. I was thin. And next thing you know, you you remember back in your mental capacity at the time, you doubted yourself. You didn't think you were all that. You didn't know what powers you had right in front of you. We have these powers. We are very powerful people. We have the numbers. What we have to do is stand up and actually defend ourselves. You know, at some point, you cannot no longer trust the fox guarding the hen house. You can no longer trust thy enemy. And you can no longer take another swat across the face and turn the other cheek. You just can't. At some point, you need to rise up, stand up, and fight. We're in this fight. And there is a biblical way that says, turn the other cheek. 
we're not God. We're, we're, we'll never, we're sinners. And we're among sinners. You know, I always had this thing um, with regard to Lance Armstrong. I'm not even a big fan of Lance Armstrong. Could, could take Lance Armstrong or leave him, trust me. I think he's probably a jerk. I'm big into cycling. And one of the things I've always said when I defended Lance Armstrong for doping was what was he going to do? You know, in the Tour de France, which is actually going on right now, I said, you know, the the situation with the Tour de France, the people that run the show are to blame for the cheating that went on there because they developed and cultivated a landscape of cheaters. You couldn't even make a team or get an endorsement if you didn't take EPO or, you know, some doping drug, performance-enhancing drug. So you had to. They set the platform so everybody had to cheat in order to even make the team or to have a chance of winning. So it was the people that set the rules and didn't police and didn't didn't regulate the, the, the terms Basically, it was a zero-contract set of rules. It was the old Wild West. And so, naturally, there would be cheaters. So, if he, he, you know, if he cheated the best, then he cheated the best. He should get a trophy for cheating. You know, whatever that is. But we set the environment. We make the table. We set the table. You know, I was watching um, this series, and they were talking about election fraud from 2018 and the rigged machines and they were blaming Trump and the Republicans for cheating them uh, in 2016 and that they were going to somehow reverse course and try to use the same tricks to cheat Trump. And this was this this episode was written in 2019 probably shot in it aired 2019. It was shot in like 2018. And I thought, wow, how fortuitous. And here are a bunch of liberals, because obviously this was a liberally leaning show. They, the, they are fully aware that these machines have algorithms that do fractional weighting and all kinds of stuff. And with the... Uh, ability to have remote access, which we're finding more and more. The the different machines had it. Pennsylvania, Georgia, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Arizona, all used pretty much the same types of systems using MySQL databases that could be easily manipulated. They had batch files that were doing certain things. They had it all set up. And there's no way to really catch them. Which is the reason why I say one of the things that we need to get out of the AZ audit is we need to get a determination that says if the machines can be rigged, then there's no check and balance on the machines um, and there's no way that we should be able to use a system that can be rigged by anybody whenever they want. It violates the principles of chain of custody. Because if the chain of custody can be broken without anybody's knowledge, then that system should be deemed as flawed and no longer a system that is allowed to be used. And if they change the system and make it so it's, you know, one day voting, uh, paper ballots, you know, go back to the old fashioned way, 
where votes stop by the end of the day. Somebody said they should be counting, have all the votes counted by midnight. I don't know about that. I, I think maybe we should be. It's 2021, 2022 coming. We should be able to count votes with machines just like, uh, you know, any machine tab- tabulates and tallies. It's not rocket science. They've been doing this, almost this type of thing, since the 60s and 70s. I'm Right now, we, we have it so well perfected. So there's no excuse as to why we can't get there. All right, so there's another um, concern that I have. Okay, so I we just addressed the 4th of July and, you know, the, the one little caveat and wrap-up I would say to the 4th of July is I wish that, yeah, this is the one end piece that I want to put on that, a little bit of cherry on top on the icing, and then we're going to leave that. The 4th of July thing, the where I wrote the article that I read to you just now. Um, the idea here is this. What black people and black leadership needs to understand is that nobody's going to fix their problem for them. They're going to have to fix the problem themselves. They've had enough time. There's been enough civil rights legislation, affirmative action, and what have you, to where that debt's been paid. There is this thing called statute of limitations. It applies to so many other aspects of law. It should also apply to the 1700s or the 1800s, you know, at some point, if the person is not born and they've never committed the crime and they're not guilty of anything, they shouldn't be penalized for anything. That's a violation of due process. So we should adhere to the laws of the land today and we should basically hold each and every person's actions responsible and accountable. But what black people need to understand and Anybody else, for that matter, who feels the need that they need reparations to satisfy what they feel is an injustice or that they feel they're a victim. Uh, basically, these people need to need to get reprogrammed or readjusted. Somebody needs to wisely speak to them and say that what you ought to focus on is not the grievance, not the victimization, not the discrimination, not all of these things, but how about personal responsibility? How about better behavior? How about less gun shootings in Chicago, which is like a record. They, they had a record number. The be, the biggest amount of deaths and shootings in, in 2021 happened in Chicago this weekend because the, the war on police. It's happening in New York. It's happening in every major city, Atlanta, Detroit, you name it. And these are happen to be minority-run cities. So the Democrats are hurting. The people they're hurting with open borders and, and all these low-income jobs being gobbled up, the people they're hurting because of, um, of, of defunding the police are the people that they claim that they want to help the most. And it's sad, but the numbers don't lie. But what black leadership needs to understand and what they need to sell is gratitude. I don't know how much they have to be grateful for right now because they've kind of made a hole for themselves with their crime statistics and their behave, their poor behavior. 
But for the most part, black people that play by the rules, go to school, don't have children out of wedlock, avoid drug abuse, um, and avoid addictions uh, are making it in this world, in this country. They're making it. And it's been this way for decades and decades. This is nothing new. The only thing we're seeing right now is a political exercise. The Democrats are basically trying to divide and conquer. They did it with Black Lives Matter, dividing the conservative blacks with the liberal blacks. They divided them. They knew that they would have the better bet. They would get 70% of the black community to vote for them. They would pit the two black communities together against one another. 30% of the black community was Republican. 70% was Democrat. And that's even a stretch. They took the odds. They knew that they were heading into very liberal waters and that the black conservatives would never support them. So rather than have that honest debate, they decided to create this uh, villain, the police, in the wake of Michael Brown and exploit that for all it was worth and divide their own community, the black community, who allowed themselves to be divided because they had weak leadership like Al Sharpton who sells out for money, like Jesse Jackson who sold out his whole life for money. And that's what they've done with their their leadership. And the black people that are buying into it are basically told that they need to win no matter what. And they were the major figures in uh, and the responsible for rigging the elections. If you look at the perpetrators of rerunning those uh, ballots through the machines in Atlanta, and you look at the exploitation of Wayne County in Detroit, and you look at Milwaukee and how that was uh, exploited, you look at Philadelphia and how the corruption ran fluent there, and you even look at other other country uh, other cities, black people were exploited by the Democrat Party. Not only to in bloodshed in the streets with Black Lives Matter taking the bullets and taking the club, you know, and taking the 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 bottles to the face, uh, they were the ones putting it on the line for what to fundraise. Yeah, they fundraised for the Democrat Party, and they took a lot of slings and arrows as a result of it. While Nancy Pelosi sits in her vineyard, in her gated community with her armed guards. This is what was happening in the streets. And they exploited these individuals and tried to and lied to them and sold them a bill of goods. Shame on, though, those people for not having good leadership. So my point is, stop looking back. Stop looking for reparations. Try to find gratitude for what you do have and your heart and realize that your ancestors who were slaves, or my ancestors who were slaughtered. Their sacrifices, their, what, they, what they endured, actually had an impact on what people like Thomas Jefferson and, Martin Luther, uh, and, and Lincoln wrote in the Declaration of Independence and the Emancipation Proclamation. And what Martin Luther King said, in his dream speech, all of these things were inspired by struggle and loss and bloodshed. And that's, wh- and, and that's why I thank so heartily and, and honor our country for learning from its mistakes and for 
developing and cultivating a constitution that could actually work. 275 years later, it still works. It still works great. It's the greatest document in government history. And it's what it's our blueprint for success. And to try to suggest what Obama suggested, that it was a flawed document, that our founding fathers were flawed individuals, and just leave it at that without weighing the good and the bad, is is doing our our country a disservice and it's um it's being exploited now for political gain. And that's really what it's all about. That's why we get the numb nuts and the ignoramuses like Cori Bush to say the hateful things that she said or the or the ignoramuses of the New York Times in saying suggesting that wave waving a flag is racist or waving a flag says you're a Republican. I would hate to be a Democrat today and not be able to wave a flag without, you know, feeling like, oh, someone's going to think that I'm a the other party. I would I would hate that. Since when did the Democrats lose their values about American patriotism? I mean, you look at what the soccer women's soccer team has done to themselves. Think about how much further along they'd be if they just find love instead of hate in their heart for their country, for those who sacrificed for them and their freedoms. It just, to me, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. These spoiled, rotten little brats lost that gratitude in their hearts. I don't know if it was the way they were raised, but I think it's a, I think it's a byproduct of liberal liberalism. And the liberal parents that are instilling liberal values, you know, it, it really amounts to a bunch of hypocrisy. You know, we were just looking a little bit at the Cosby release, and they said Cosby got swept up in the whole Me Too thing. And I've seen several, I've talked with several people in the know who basically said Cosby was railroaded and exploited for political... And I said some things. I said, you know, one of the things about Cosby, every time he'd give a speech, he would be promoting colleges, Temple, Yale, Columbia, NYU. He would would endorse education as the way forward for black communities. Where Jesse Jackson would basically be talking about, um, you know, getting handouts or Jesse Jackson would be talking about Keep Hope Alive and Rainbow Coalition, Rainbows and Unicorns. Bill Cosby was out there, you know, really trying to make a difference with education. And where you got uh, Al Sharpton basically race baiting and shaking people down in extortion plot after extortion plot, you know, that's not the kind of leadership. It's that leadership. Shame on that leadership for putting the black America in the place that it is. And shame on black America for buying into it. You know, open your eyes. What the hell do you have to lose? The most honest politician when it came to black people was Donald Trump. When he pushed forward Opportunity Zones, Second Chance Act, uh, black unemployment, basically knowing full well that the best social welfare program is a job. And the pardons that he gave out 
and all the other things, the HBCU schools, giving them 10 years of funding rather than year to year so that they can invest in bigger projects. All of those things were smart decisions, great things for the black communities that the black uh, liberals never endorsed. Black conservatives did, like Tim Scott in the Opportunity Zone. So it's really not about skin color, is it? It's about political ideology where someone like Biden thinks that spending more stimulates jobs. Yeah, it does in the short term. In the long term, it puts us in debt and devalues the dollar and creates inflation, which we're seeing right now across the board. The Middle East is ablaze. The the southern border is open and we're seeing unprecedented chaos along the southern border. Uh, We have inflation like we've never seen. Uh, And people don't want to go to work because the government is meddling in the business of fair market pricing with these handouts trying to convert our country into a socialist nation. But it gets worse. And how does it get worse? Well, I would dare say that we're now starting to see advancements with the climate change drum. They're starting to bang that drum. What's the next thing? They want to end cow flatulence, right? They want to end cow flatulence, so they want to take beef away from you. They want to, they want to take away your ability to buy oil. I'm reading all these things about these electric vehicles. Electric diesel, for example. They, they worked it out. You need 30 gallons of gas in order to fill up, uh, to charge a whole diesel electric engine. And by the time you're done with that, you could take your car, I think it was 200 miles, to where it worked out to be like 5.6 miles per gallon of oil, gas, gas that was needed to actually use the electrical current to charge the vehicle, the electric vehicle. So the car's running on electricity, but in order to supply the electricity, they needed a certain amount of gallons of the equivalent of 30 gallons of jet uh, of gasoline which gave the car 5.6 miles per gallon of oil. (laughs) So it doesn't make any sense, right? Yet meanwhile, at the same time that they're pushing electricity, they're hacking, hacking beef. They're hacking beef industry. They're hacking pipelines. And they're impacting pricing to where we now have this thing called biflation, where even buying lumber is expensive. Buying oil is expensive. It's going up to $5 a gallon for just gas. That's a tax like no other. And beef is going up because we're allowing China to buy more beef. It's going to increase demand while we might have more shortages in in the wake of the hackers that are hacking beef industry. So it's exactly by design that this is happening. And this is called guerrilla-like tactics. It's not lo- no longer the Greenpeace standing in the way of a lumberjack to protect a spotted owl or a fisherman to protect a whale. It's 10 times worse than that. It's tar- strategic targeting on a global scale because the globalists are in on it all at once. I was saying in response to COVID, they were looking at this chart in India about the Delta virus. And they looked at this chart from the Johns Hopkins in numbers, and they said they're no different than the United States and Canada. 
So why all the hype? And they also said India is using ivermectin. And I said, you know, it's kind of interesting, but what happens in America happens everywhere else. What's happening in the world, like Black Lives Matter and racial divide, is happening in England now. They didn't have Jim Crow. They didn't have our history. And so all of these things seem to be happening in concert with one another. And I want to just say one more thing before I pick up this uh, call with John. Um, and I do see John calling in. You might have to call back in. I don't know how this system's going to... But um, I wanted to play this clip again because it's an oldie but a goodie. And I want to go into this as it relates to climate change right now. First, we've got population. Now, the world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, health care, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. Uh, first, we've got population. All right, so you see how he wants to control population. Well, what if it is the case that now they think that maybe there's too many people? What if it's the case that they actually want to endorse transvestites and homosexuality because they can't procreate? What if it's death panels and abortions and vaccines like Bill Gates said? We're going to go ahead and take John. uh, is going to come in to our show here in a second. Uh, John, you're on the air. Hey, Scott. How are you? I am. just want to jump in quickly. I did hear, you know, part of what you're talking about with regard to the globalists, and you've probably heard the phrase, and I'll jump right into it, green is the uh, new red, uh, or the watermelon theory of, you know, green on the outside, red on the inside. It it really is a form of communism. If you think about what a lot of these people are, is they're collectivists. And if you have an environmental imperative, you can therefore justify people to to do anything in the name of achieving that uh, goal of saving the earth. And that, that means collective this, collective that, and so be it. And the real goal is attacking capitalism and its control. And for some of them, they actually believe the, uh, the, the rhetoric. But others, I think, really have this collectivist mindset. I think that's why you see the globalists. You talk about the globalists, and they're behind this. I think that's part of it. But I, I would argue that we need to take on the whole notion of global warming head on, and we've talked about this before, Scott, with Leonora, is uh, whether and to what extent this is even true. And there's strong evidence that it's not true or that it is it is tenuous at best. And there's a guy, I don't know if you can get him on your show, but Steve Gorham, he's an engineer out of the Chicago area, saw a video he did of a speech at the University of Calgary. It was very impressive. He goes through the arguments and really dismantles them one by one. And it might be an interesting interview because uh, I, this guy who might be, uh, was probably I know he's, he's appeared on some other shows. So John, Steve check this Gorham. out. I, I was going to get yeah. to this article today and I'm not going to have time, but this is a Federalist article, article written by Augusta uh, Myret. He says, recycled overpopulation alarmism is anti-science, anti-freedom, and anti-human. The anti-human claims made by extreme environmentalists account for so much death and destruction, yet still enjoy so much legitimacy among the elites in the developed world. It sparked my thinking about that will be the next agenda for the climate change, because it's not just cows that put off emissions. You know, and so when Bill Gates was trying to say we need to get nine billion down to six and a half. We're about eight now. Um, when he says that, 
He's saying death panels, uh, abortions, and vaccines. It's scary because we're, a lot of us are taking the vaccine. I have not, but a lot of people are. And you wonder, what, what is the motivating factor? The same people that are endorsing this are also endorsing relationships that don't procreate. They're endorsing homosexuality and transvestites. They're not endorsing Christian value homes that procreate. You see what I mean? This attack on religion could have an impact on population, which could have an impact on on, on, well, I doubt that it even has an impact on climate, but they're using climate to create that initiative. I think that, well, that's true. If you look at a lot of these climate activists, uh, especially young ones, like they're, they say things like, I don't want to have children as a, as a commitment to the earth, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. which is kind of crazy. Of course, that's kind of self-correcting because those who don't have children are less likely to propagate their impact <laughs> into the future yes. uh, because they won't have their children to go on, which is why they have to take over the education system. Yeah, these people tend to be anti-human. You know, maybe for that reason or for other reasons, I, I agree, for general, um, uh, you know, quote-unquote environmentalist reason. You know, part of the reason why the population has grown, though, is government payout. Honestly, if you, if it wasn't for government debt, I think that equals people to a great extent because yeah. we've been able to sustain more people because of government spending. If you take a look at who has children, and if you look at, say, a place like Africa, I, I would almost guarantee that without the generous foreign aid, they would have nearly as many people as they do now. It would naturally, in other words, it naturally restricts itself if you don't have a. a That's right. Of government That's exactly money. right. That's right. So we should leave it alone rather than meddle in it and social engineer. Well, well you're right. And you're going, you mentioned something about the nuclear or about the uh, the energy with uh, the inefficiency of what they're trying to do. They also don't talk about the enormous expense associated with solar materials. You know, solar materials, oh, right. there's, a, there's a theoretical maximum of efficiency for solar, which is about 31%. We're now at like 23 to 27%. And there's ways to get that up a little bit through stacking yeah. of panels or that, a junction stacking of, of, uh, yeah. of some of the chips. But it's very difficult. And so we're pretty close to the maximum right now and not even close to making it efficient. You right. can't do this, let's say, in northern states. Right. Well, John, and, John, we have they've to they've all go. rejected nuclear. So, yeah. sorry, sorry about that. All right. Hey, call in right. again. Thank you. And, uh, right, thanks, thanks. All right. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Scott Adams Show. Uh, that brings us to the end of our show. And uh, my name's Scott Adams. Be sure to check out buglecall.org, magapack.org, and check out scottadamsshow.com uh, for the latest podcast. And we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody. We're stand the mounds getting steeper. And grab a shovel, dig a hole a little deeper. Just to bury my kids right up to there.